You're listening to All the Best. I'm Danny Stewart. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land. Pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognize that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Australia's refugee and asylum seeker policies are infamously cruel and widely condemned by the UN and international human rights organisations. Kurdish Iranian heavy metal guitarist Kazem was detained on Manus Island for eight years and experienced the cruelty of these policies firsthand. On our show this week, the story of how Cousin processed the trauma of that experience through heavy metal and an epic collaboration with anti-racist Muslim death metal band Hazin. And this story comes with a content warning, the mention of trauma, PTSD and violence. Please listen with care. In the days before the internet, we're talking sort of late 80s, early 90s, the stuff you heard on Saturday morning and the top 10 and it was all pop music and it was all Madonna and Kylie Minogue and all of that. And most pop music is about love or it's it's often quite sugary. And I was a really messed up teenager. I had problems with authority. I was struggling with a violent, capricious, angry father. I was acting out at school, almost expelled. I was depressed. I was withdrawn. I was antisocial. And so in those really fragile years of trying to understand who you are, going through all these changes, heavy metal was my lifeline uh, during a major teenage depression from about 14 to 16. A band like Metallica literally saved my life. Heavy metal gave me this imaginary world that I could retreat into. Art helped me take feelings which were almost impossible to resolve internally but it helped me visualize and externalize them. So I was drawing back then a lot as well, drawing really, you know, horrible, nightmarish imagery. And that was one way of externalizing those feelings and then seeing them kind of reflected back, right? And that was so important because it gave me a mirror, like, okay, this is how I feel. And I don't know if anyone's ever felt this way before. Have they? I don't know. But I'm going to put it out there. And when someone responds to it and when they get it, that's a deep connection that you've made through your art, you know, and it's the most powerful and affirming way to communicate. It's, it's, it's really wond- wonderful and liberating. My name's Safta Ahmed. I'm an artist. I play music, play heavy metal guitar. I also make comics and um, I'm an academic in Islamic studies. And I've also been volunteering with Refugee Art Project for about 11 years now. And it's a non-profit community art organization which supports the self-expression of asylum seekers and refugees. 
We're sitting in our studio in the inner west suburb of Ashfield. And uh, this is where we meet for workshops and have meals and hatch plans to create art together, in a sense. And the, the mission of our organization is to um, enhance the agency and the voice of refugees in Australia, to try and express the complex, difficult, contradicted, full human experience of people not just to see them as refugees and to approach them only through that lens yeah. let's check out the oh, food i have many things yeah i think art is a basic human right it's part of our cultural and emotional self-expression everyone needs it everyone has it everyone consumes it and so i think it's absolutely fundamental to expressing diversity in our society. <laughs> I love it. So Australia has a policy of mandatory and indefinite detention for anyone who comes to the country by boat seeking protection. The decision was that people who come to the country in that way are coming illegally, even though under international law and under the Refugees Convention, which Australia accepts, there's nothing illegal about crossing borders and traveling across countries in search of protection. So that policy began uh, in the 90s under the Keating government in response to a wave of people who were coming by boat from Indochina. So then I decided to turn around the ship for the safety of uh, everybody on board to go to Christmas Island. It was all for the Things really got ugly in the early 2000s under the Howard government, around the time of 9-11 when the war on terror started, and the Howard government exploited racism and Islamophobia and the paranoia that went with the whole war on terror to really demonize refugees who were coming by boat. Then they were coming from Afghanistan and Iraq and the countries which Australia, as part of the coalition, was, were actually invading along with the Americans. So unfortunately, um, people were in detention for years, people who'd committed absolutely no crimes, and that by and large has continued unto the present day. Offshore processing was initiated by the Howard government, Labor then scrapped it and then reintroduced it when they thought they were going to lose an election over the issue of refugees, and we still have offshore processing. Up to a thousand people are believed to have died trying to come to Australia by boat over the past decade, and yet many of your critics say that you as Prime Minister were no different to your Conservative predecessors or successors in trying to turn away those asylum seekers who were trying to reach Australia. 
Well, you've given the key reason why we want to do everything possible as a nation uh, to discourage people from taking that very dangerous journey by boat. Uh, you get out your map of the world and look at the stretch of water. None of us want them to get on boats, but once yes, they're correct. on the boats, what was Australia doing? I mean, the UNHCR was saying that your deterrence measures rendered the market for smugglers more profitable. You actually well, incentivised that smuggling. Absolutely not. I do not. That's what the United Nations well, High Commissioner for you, who you were just quoting. Yeah, Being in an environment where everyone around you is traumatised and everyone is going through this, this process of helplessness and um, there's, an, there's a very extreme mental health crisis in Australia's detention system for obvious reasons. People know they're being punished and they know they haven't done anything wrong and they have no realistic picture of when they're going to be released. And under those circumstances, people break. They break down. There's incredible um, prevalence of self-harm and suicide attempts. And all of that leaves everyone deeply traumatised. My name is Zainab Mir. Uh, I'm an artist and coordinator at the Fuji Art Project. Um, I'm originally from Iran, but living in Australia for uh, 15 years now. These people have come from a big trauma. They might wait up from one year to eight years, 10 years, just uh, on bridging visas. There is a lady, she has spent all her teenage years and her young years in detention center. And now she's in the community in Australia, yeah. The process of detention in Australia often gives people crippling PTSD and psychological damage that they'll have to deal with for the rest of their lives. Amnesty in 2016 referred to Australia's offshore detention policy as torture. It fits the legal definition of torture. These people, they have a lot of trauma, like you traumatise a person to different stages and then one day they become a citizen or permanent resident and then you have a per person, a citizen that is uh, mentally damaged. This is something that Australian politicians have never fessed up to when it comes to how this policy is communicated to the public and they've never addressed it. So unfortunately, we still torture people and we live in a country in which people who are stateless and who don't have the protections of citizenship are being gravely abused. Even amongst people who support refugees, the argument is often made that they are a benefit to our society that they have a lot to offer, that they bring all kinds of skills and education and culture and things that we can all as a community benefit from. And this is obviously true, but at the same time, those arguments can be quite, I think, dangerous because they play into the binary of the worthy or the unworthy refugee, the good and the bad refugee. Whereas ultimately, at the end of the day, every human being has basic rights regardless of whether you're a good person or, or an awful person. And I think our understanding of human rights has to begin from that basic assumption that people deserve rights. So sometimes the sympathetic argument that refugees have a lot to offer plays into this whole frame of seeing them as either a problem or a benefit. And I think we need to get away from that. It's a false binary.
My name is Kazem Kazemi. I'm a heavy metal musician. Kazem is a Kurdish-Iranian guy. I was on Manus Island for... He's quite imposing. He's physically very strong. About six years. Thick black goatee and moustache. Manus Island was a camp. It's an island, an island in Papua New Guinea. It ran by Australian government. It was a place to put pressure on people, go back to their countries. So he suffered many years of incarceration. He was sent to Manus Island and he was kept there for almost six years. Yeah, it's beautiful island. You only see the look and you don't know what was inside the island. How was the life look like over there? Unless you go there and living in the camps and after that and after a while you'll be realized about it. sort of has a charisma. Like when I think of him, I think of this big solid block. The foods really were tasteless and uncooked. We lived in tent with only a fan and a lot of bad incense like mosquitoes. Malaria, many of those people, they got the malaria and they have to deal with that rest of their lives. difficult part in the camp we dealing with the guards because most of those guards they just wanted to make you sad make you angry and provoke you to do something and to giving them a reason to punish you that was their job for me I was always so sad and angry about that, but I never did something to giving them a reason. Those years were the bad part of my life. Hey man, go front, go front, go front, make video, go front. I lost some of my friends. They actually killed them over there. Oh. 
The riot on Manus Island happened in 2014. That was the event in which Reza Barati was killed. They attacked us in 2014. Yeah, I was in the camp. Yeah, I saw my friends. They were beaten badly by the guards, by the locals. And also they killed one of my Kurdish brothers, Reza Barati. He was actually a good man. And he was murdered. Kazem had a page which he called Manus Metal Man and he would upload little videos of himself playing guitar in the laundry of the detention centre and he used to play there because it was he didn't want to disturb the other detainees so a refugee supporter actually brought him a guitar and an amp and he used to practice in the laundry and so he uploaded little cover videos playing Metallica songs and Amonomath and Satyricon and all these bands, which I love. When I listen to heavy music or play the guitar, it's such a kind of powerful music. So I thought, oh, it'll be really special to support this guy and collaborate with him in the future. especially in, in the hard times and it can help me go through the problems so easy. Heavy metal was like a shelter for me to protect myself, not to get more harm. That music just remind me don't worry about that. Heavy metal is the best world for you. And just stay in your world and ignore those people. Commonly, people who've had no experience of heavy metal um, consider it or see it as being negative, destructive, and something which cannot be healthy. Right? And often I find that's the approach that people also bring to other genres of art that I love. Horror films get the same kind of treatment. They're often seen as this awful thing. And why would you put yourself through that? Why would you even want to go there? What kind of person enjoys that kind of art, right? And heavy metal gets that a lot. To most people, it's incomprehensible noise and anger and aggression and violence. And the perception is that you'd be a pretty screwed up person to enjoy that in the first place, right? 
Um, but for people on the inside, for people who love it, uh, it's it's the exact opposite, right? It's actually deeply exhilarating and life affirming to address uh, the things that hurt, the painful things in our lives. The negative things, you know, all the social injustices. Sometimes it has a more political slant and I particularly like that type of metal as well. Sometimes it's more personal. To play it gives you a very strong feeling of agency and, and mastery. So it is, yeah, a very physical type of music which gives a, a strong kind of pleasure response. When I grab the guitar and start to playing and after a while I will get a good feeling through that. It's actually like kind of medicine. If someone annoying me or anything, someone is cool to me and I'm always can handle that and stay strong, it's all because of that type of music. But I think we need to go through the darkness and acknowledge and accept and embrace that as part of human experience to actually be released from it, you know? So for me, that's what heavy metal does. It's, it's a profound journey through those difficult feelings and experiences. And the music articulates that orally. The music gives you a handle on those things that you don't otherwise have. Otherwise it's stuck inside you. The music helps you access and externalize those very difficult feelings. And that's how we process difficult feelings. So for most metalheads, they'll tell you the music is a deep way of feeling and experiencing emotions that is good and healthy for them. I got in touch with him in 2018 through Instagram. Kazem had a page which he called Manus Metal Man. And then I, eventually I said, hey man, why don't we write a song together? So he sent me audio clips of riffs which he was coming up with in the laundry, uh, which he recorded on his phone. And I would listen to them and I could often hear the the washing bumping in the background, you know, the, the machines going behind him. We have the same taste. I came from different culture, different language, but it's not gonna stop us not to be connected to each other. It's actually a kind of language. And I'm so grateful for that. Took the best riffs, added a few of my own, and we made a song called Manus Hell. He wrote the lyrics, it was from a poem that he wrote about Manus Island. 
Interestingly, Kazem talks about how trauma has affected his mind, dented his memory, certainly shows the, um, the sort of cognitive consequences that people suffer when they go through severe trauma and, and experience PTSD. I was a different person. I had a good memory. I could keep the things very easy in my brain. Yeah, but unfortunately, after years and years being in detention, and I know I struggle with that to keeping things in my mind. When I'm sleeping, I don't have a good sleep, a lot of nightmares, stress, thought about even. That was something that actually touched our collaboration because he did struggle to remember some of the riffs which he himself had written um, a few years earlier when we were writing the song Manus Hell. It definitely had an effect. So our way of playing together revolved more around jamming and just being in the moment. One way that I understand affect is you can think about something a certain way, but you are going to feel about it in another way, you know? You can understand why something is wrong. You can understand why somebody has hurt you and see the causes that led up to that event. But the feeling of it is separate to your logical, rational understanding of that event. And the feeling might be the thing that remains with you. And that might be the difficult thing that you need to work through and process. And even that processing doesn't always happen in a logical way. It doesn't always make sense why we feel the way we feel. And so for me, affect touches on that intuitive, sometimes irrational, ways that we feel in our bodies as ab about certain things that helps us understand experiences that have a visceral power and which can't always just be explained away. Uh, trauma is an experience which is often felt in the body before you can logically or rationally understand the experience and it's retained in the body and the body remembers trauma in a very specific way. And so I think that dimension of experience um, is something which narrative accounts of trauma or human rights abuses very rarely can capture. And so I think that's where art and music is, is quite special in helping us process and understand uh, what the body experiences. And that's why I think heavy metal is such an interesting angle and entry point to thinking about the experience of affect related to trauma, which is what Borderfast does. It's a genre of music that does have a very powerful physical feeling. It gives you a lot of energy, it can be fast, it can be exhilarating. There's an intensity and a power to a lot of heavy metal, which I think is inherently affective. You know, it is a viscerally emotional kind of form of music. And so in Kazem's situation, uh, it was the thing that helps him assert his humanity, you know, and resistance in a really 
deep and profound way. And so for me, it's a very inspiring subject. Some people think that refugees are grateful for being in Australia, but it's actually not true. It's not a great country, not only for, for the refugees, for everyone, because the system is bad, the system is corrupt. But I'm here. Unfortunately, Australia is leading the world in the deterrence and punishment of innocent people who are moving through countries merely seeking protection. And so I hope the work also sends a very strong political message. That story was produced by Mike Williams and featured Safta Ahmed and Kazem Kazami. You can follow Refugee Art Project on Facebook and Instagram. Hazine's debut album, Sovereign Murders, is out now. The album includes Kazem's song, Manus Hell, and it's available on Bandcamp. And you can find more stories by Mike Williams, plus details for his upcoming live shows in Sydney and Melbourne at mikewilliams.com.au. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarong lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Timothy Nguyen is our social media producer and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can listen back to our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.